0: All right, we've got to do the HIV first, then I'll answer all of your questions about finals and other things. So, first thing, demographics. In the United States, there's approximately 40,000 new HIV cases every year. There's about a million. U- there's about a million United States residents who currently have HIV. And about 25% of those don't know they have it. Now... Now, worldwide, it's a little bit different. Worldwide, there's about four, well, basically by now, five million people who have HIV worldwide. Um, and there, well, actually, sorry, five million new infections occurred in 2004. So we're talking a huge percentage more in the rest of the world than in the United States. So that brings us to an important point. What are the things that, are, um, that help HIV to be transmitted? Okay, well, it can, I mean, sociologically speaking. Sex is one of them, but what is going to enhance the type of sex that leads to HIV transmission? Prostitution and, it's a W word, war. War. <laughs> womanizing yes no war the the other the other big societal change is um people going from the countryside moving into larger cities trying to look for work how many of you have read the hiv chapter in the coming plague well i highly recommend that you read it thank you for those of you who did even if you're lying to me You really should read the chapter. It's got a lot of interesting things to say, and it would help you to know those for your final. Um, Now, but in the 70s, what happened was a lot of people in third world countries started moving from the countryside to the cities so they could find work. And so what they would do is they would live there for three or four days, five days out of the week, and then they would go back home to their uh, families. Now, what was going on in the middle in the mid seventies? The disco, and what was the purpose of disco? To get women into bed. Oh, that's nice. Really? Wow. There were, the, the whole disco, the whole disco movement was about two things: drugs and sex. Now, so what happened during this time? You'd have these people going into the country or from the country into the city, partying it up anonymously, and then taking their newfound diseases back home to their wives. Nice. Then in the eighties you had well actually in the seventies also, you had wars and incredible destruction of the family between the movement into the cities and between wars. And so between those two things, you just had a perfect setup for the transmission of AIDS in Africa. Um, for a while in Zimbabwe, they were saying that basically 50% of the population had HIV. Um, I think it's come down a little bit. Now it's only like 35%. But you know, it's an incredible epidemic in certain parts of Africa and in certain parts of Asia as well. What? Yeah, but is very tiny compared to Zimbabwe. Um, in 2004, 3.1 million people died of AIDS. And uh, since 1980, over 27 million people have died of AIDS. Now, always want to keep that in perspective, because no matter how bad HIV and AIDS are, diarrhea still kills more people every year. <laughs> now, um... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now one of one of the big things about HIV is that it is 100% preventable. Diarrhea isn't always, although it is also very preventable as well. It's also more treatable. But anyway, off that soapbox. Um, terms that we need to understand. The first one is what HIV infection means. And you'll hear the word, you'll hear the term seropositive. What that means is that your blood serum. Is positive for HIV antibodies. Now, there's two tests that we use ELISA and Western Blot. Now, these are not tests for HIV, they're tests for antigens or antibodies. And you can test for, you can use an ELISA test for almost any kind of antibody you can think of. So, ELISA is not necessarily an HIV test, it's a technique for finding antibodies. Does that make sense? Okay. So when you, look, when you do the ELISA test, you have to do an HIV ELISA test as opposed to like hepatitis ELISA. Um, now, for screening, we use the ELISA test. Why do you think we use the ELISA test for screening? Because it's cheap, it's fast, and it's relatively sensitive, which means it's much more likely to say yes than it is to say no. So what we do is we start with the ELISA test. If it's positive, does that mean the person has HIV? No, No, you have to confirm it. And how are you going to confirm it? With With the Western blot. Now, one of the problems that you have when you start taking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of blood samples and running them through a test, you're going to get a few false positives. And so one of the big things we have to do is screen patients for risk behaviors. If you have a positive HIV test with someone who has no risk factors, they're much less likely to actually have HIV. Now, that said, what's the number one reason for having a positive HIV test? Having having. Having HIV. The next term we need to understand is AIDS. What does AIDS stand for? All right. It's so wonderful to have you guys already knowing the words before we come into class. It's beautiful. The the definition of AIDS is two things. One is having a CD4 count of less than 200. What does CD4 mean? It is T cells. What kind of T cells? Helper T cells. cells. So what is is CD4? Um, How do you know if someone is in the Army instead of the Marines? They wear a different uniform. You can think of CD8 and CD4 as the uniforms of T cells. If it wears a CD8 protein, it's a killer T cell. And if it wears a CD4, it is a helper T cell. So it's the helper T cells. What do helper T cells do? They help what? So they help. B cells produce antibodies and they help macrophages attack the correct thing. So if you don't have enough of them, your T cells or your B cells and your macrophages don't know where to go. And so your immune system is going to suffer. So the first thing is helper T cells or CD4 cells less than 200. 200. And then the next one is at least one of the CDC identified AIDS related diseases or conditions, which include PCP. What is PCP? Not angel dust. <laughs> Pneumocystis carinii pneumonia. CMV. What's CMV? Cytomegalovirus. Say it properly now. Um, TB. Tuberculosis. By the way, practically every person who has HIV in this country has tuberculosis. Um, they almost also all have herpes. Um, Kaposi's sarcoma is a particular kind of cancer. It's most common in white HIV patients, and really isn't as common anymore because of our of the drug treatments we've got now. And then candidiasis, and there's a bunch of others. So, in order to have a diagnosis of AIDS, you have to have the CD4 count be less than 200 and one of those AIDS-related conditions. Etiology, um, you know, what causes AIDS? Well. At the very beginning, it wasn't called AIDS at all. It was called GRID, which stood for? Gay related <laughs> immunoefficiency disease. And the reason for that is in the United States, it showed up in? Gay. Homosexuals. homosexuals first. Why did it show up in homosexual people first? Because, because of what kind of sex? <laughs> okay, well, one is anal, but much more important than anal sex is? The promiscuity. Now, if you read your. Uh, your uh, coming plague, how many people in a year did did uh, gay people have to have sex with to be considered promiscuous in the 60s? In a year. In the 60s, it was 10. 10 a year was considered promiscuous. By 1980, what was considered promiscuous? 500 in a year. That's, for those of you who are counting, that's more than one a day. What? Sagan? The CDC. The yeah. yeah. So, so, what is, okay, so the question was, what is the CDC? The CDC, hey, come on back now. The CDC stands for Centers for Disease Control. And it's the, the government agency that's responsible for tracking diseases, especially um, infectious diseases, and controlling them. So, so homosexual culture exploded in the 70s. And if you remember, the, do you know what bathhouses are? Oh, is not in like Philadelphia story. Well, yes, in Philadelphia story they have them. In San Francisco and New York, they were very prominent. But basically it's a place you go in the middle of the day to take a bath and meet other people to have to have gay anonymous sex with. Um, how many of you know who Larry Craig is? Larry Craig. Who is he? He was a senator from Idaho who was caught stamping his foot underneath someone else's stall. Why? It's a sign for, hey, would you like to have some sex with me? Oh, by the way by the way, there was some research done in the 60s. There was some research done in the 60s that about 30% of men who had sex with other men anonymously did not consider themselves gay and were married and had children. Which is one of the reasons why when, when you go and give blood, they don't ask, are you gay or are you homosexual? They ask, have you had sex with another man? Percent? It was like 30%. So what's that called in, in, the, uh, in the African-American culture? It's called the down low. Because you're having sex on the down low. The DL. Anyway. Um, so... Eventually, they decided that it must be a bloodborne pathogen, but they didn't know what, and they didn't know how it, w- how it was transmitted other than it probably was sexual. And if it was bloodborne, it could also be transmitted through, through uh, blood contact. Um, there are a bunch of lifestyles, um, factors. You know, these homosexuals who are having 500 partners in a year had incredible microbial overload. They're being treated for STDs sometimes on a weekly basis. And so they thought that, well, maybe it was just this overload of, of bacteria that eventually overwhelms the immune system. Another one idea was these superinfections because candidiasis and pneumocystis carinii are present in everyone, but only a few people actually get those diseases because your, your immune system should be able to keep it in check. And then the other thing was poppers, um, which is basically amyl nitrite. It's a little thing they use to wake people up And uh, they're using them during sex to enhance sexual pleasure. They thought maybe that was having some kind of negative effect on the immune system. And then there were certain sexual practices, um, which were also considered to possibly uh, play a factor in that. So they include terms like uh, getting your salad tossed and fisting. And fisting is exactly what it sounds like. Taking your fist and putting it where the sun doesn't shine. And having your salad tossed is having someone lick that part, so you're nurses, you need to know what these things are. By the way, how many of you have ever watched the Oprah program? How many have ever how many of you like Oprah or have ever read her magazine? Oh about two years about two years ago about two years ago, I went to my um, my father-in-law's house, and his new wife loves Oprah. And there's no, you know, so the only thing to read in the house is O. So I'm flipping through it, and there's this article that was written about teenage sexuality. And so there was a group of, like, 12- and 13-year-olds who were being interviewed by this woman, and they had to get parental consent, of course. And the parents were like, don't you, don't you corrupt my daughter, and don't you tell her about things she shouldn't know. And that, that woman's daughter had had her salad tossed at 11 years old. So you do need to know what these things are as nurses because it's out there. So anyway, in the 70s, the CDC, you know, these PhD researchers and, and, and medical doctors are like, what the bleep is this? Of course they've got grid. So anyway, you know, Some early hypotheses were that these sexual practices were what was actually causing the problem. No, it's amyl nitrite. Now, confounding factors were that a lot, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, drug use was rampant. And um, the problem is, what do you do with people who who weren't gay, who didn't do drugs and we're still getting hiv who was one of the earliest people to have hiv was not sexual and not hiv or not a drug user it was a kid what was his name do you know there's a movie yes his little boy the ryan white story he had hemophilia and why was why did he get it before anyone else not drug plant fusion what is hemophilia a lack of what Clotting factors. You can't get enough clotting factors out of one unit of blood, so you have to pull blood from hundreds of users. So every time he got an infusion, he was getting blood from a 100 or so users, you know, donators. So the chances of someone who needs clotting factors or platelets goes dramatically higher. The other thing is that back then they were paying people to donate. Now they don't do that anymore because... They don't want to encourage the kind of people who would have HIV or other uh, bloodborne pathogens to give blood. Yeah. Plus, there was no testing back then. There's an interesting movie. Um, it's got um, Matthew Modine and it talks about. And it, you know, that's, I think it's called "And the Band Played On." And they talked about when they first found out that it, HIV existed, and they're you know, they're like, "How could you possibly suggest?" that this life-saving industry, the blood donation industry, is killing people. It's impossible. You can't do it. They're heroes. And so it talks about how they first had to face up to the fact that, yes, we're killing people by accident, even as we try and save their lives. Which brings us to a very important point, Arlo. what is it? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So later on, there is a, there are a number of um, viral... Uh, There are a number of viruses they figured might do it, and eventually we settled on what's called HIV, and there's a couple other names for HIV as well. All right, structure of HIV. What is HIV? It's a retrovirus. What does that mean? Okay, so it's got two things inside of it. One is RNA, and the other is an enzyme called reverse transcriptase. So when it infects a cell, what does it do? Right, so reverse transcriptase tells the DNA molecule in your body to unravel, make a copy of the RNA, and back into DNA. So it's reverse transcription. Remember, transcription is the first step of protein synthesis, and you make a copy from DNA to RNA. With reverse, you do the opposite. You go from RNA to DNA. So then that DNA then gets incorporated into the cell where it could remain dormant for a long time. So that's one of the reasons why HIV takes a while to become diagnosed, because it can stay dormant for so long. Um, and another thing is that HIV was also being, you know, becoming a, a problem in Africa at the same time as it was in the United States. But the diseases looked very different. HIV in Africa usually caused death within two years, whereas in the United States, it could take up to 10 years. So for a while, they thought they couldn't possibly be the same disease. The other thing is, in Africa, it was mostly heterosexual transmission. In the United States, it was mostly homosexual and drug users. Um, Now, how does an HIV molecule divide? Or I mean, replicate. How does it replicate? So first, it has to attach to a host cell. Then what does it do? It squirts its stuff into the cell. And then what happens? Okay, so you do the reverse transcribing, and then what happens? Uh, DNA is integrated into the host. Okay, so the DNA is integrated in the host cell, then what? Yeah. Okay, so then, then that DNA becomes activated and it starts building the proteins necessary to make a new a new HIV virus. So what happens is that cell becomes an HIV factory. Now, as the little components of the cells, the the components of the new HIV virus get made, they begin to migrate to the surface of the cell, and then the cell's membrane will envelop it, and it will bud offwards. Have you ever seen um, how yeast replicate? Mm -hmm. They look like little buds. Well, that's what happens here. So let's see if we can find a fun little picture of that. I still owe you a picture of gingival hyperplasia, too. Don't think I've forgotten. So here's what it looks kind of like. So here you have, you have the HIV core, which is assembled inside, inside the cell. It moves to the cell. It begins to push the membrane outwards. And the membrane will eventually envelop it. And now you've got a new, budded off HIV. Now, the very last step in this budding process, these proteins are not activated proteins. Do you remember the shape of insulin? Draw an E. On your paper, go ahead, and draw it. Oh yeah. And then you have to cut out the round part, the C peptide, and what's left is your active insulin. Same thing that happens with the HIV. <laughs> those proteins are not actually active until the very last step. As this buds off, it has to. Those proteins need to be cut. And the proteins that are in charge, the enzymes in charge of cutting those proteins are called. No. Think about it. The enzymes in charge of cutting proteins are called protease. Oh, yes. So what do you think one of the drug classes that we have are? Protease inhibitors. So smart. All right. Now, a couple more things. Um, HIV replication rate is um, going to be reflected in a, bl- in a lab value called viral load. Viral load is nothing more than the amount of virus divided by a certain amount of blood. It can range from, in the early HIV infection, it can be up to 2 million. And what you'd like for it, when you treat a patient, is for it to go down to zero. Zero is called undetectable. Yeah, it's possible. It's, not, it's possible for a while, anyway. Yeah, Magic Johnson's been at zero viral load for quite a few years now. What determines how low it gets? What determines how low it gets is your body's own immune system, coupled with um, how how bad the disease is, coupled with your uh, treatment. Now, great. HIV uh, virus only lives in your system about six years, and then it either dies or rep- gets re- you know infects a new cell and replicates again. Um, HIV is also highly mutagenic, which makes it very difficult to treat because it's always mutating into a slightly new virus. Um, The drugs that we have to treat it, you know, it becomes resistant to them fairly quickly, so we're always producing new HIV drugs, which is one of the reasons why there's only one HIV drug I'm going to have you learn, and that's the first one, AZT. Theoretically, if you can keep at that mode at zero for six years, no, that's 6 days. Oh, I'm sorry. 6 yeah. days. Yeah. No, but the, yeah, it's still it's still it, it, remember it's still in, it's still incorporated in your body's own DNA. So your body can all, until every single cell in your body is made new without that DNA, you can always re you know you can always reemerge. Because now it's part of you. Um, transmission, it's present in all body fluids. Saliva, sweat even. So we want to use universal precautions. Although really, unless the unless it gets into your skin, like if you have breaks in your skin, you're not going to become infected by touching a patient. But you do want to use universal precautions when dealing with patients who have or may not have HIV, because who's to say? By the way, what's the number one um, what's the number one growing demographic for STDs? New STDs? The elderly. The elderly. What's the number one age de- demographic for living together outside of wedlock? Elderly. 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 And do we have drugs now that help them be, do we have drugs now that help them get it on? Yes. Yes. So, those cute, that cute little patient you have? <laughs> and there's a dirty old woman to match him. All right, so the number, <laughs> the number one way throughout the world that HIV is transmitted is sexual contact. The number of partners a person has is the major determinant of whether someone gets HIV or not. In addition to that, blood transfusions and transfusions of blood products, um, sharing IV needles, accidental needle sticks, right? That's you guys some of us more than others, and blood <laughs> contact. What is that? Well, I mean, someone in this class has already stuck themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That person will remain nameless. Um, now, HIV can infect any cell that has CD4 proteins on it. So that includes dendritic cells, which are the cells that are in charge of, of, the, of uh, starting up the immune system, Helper T cells, macrophages, killer T cells, natural killer T cells, natural killer cells, and microglial cells in the nervous system. So, one of the one of the signs of HIV infection is nervous degeneration because it's attacking microglial cells in the nervous system. Nervous degeneration. People have neurological symptoms as the HIV gets worse. Um, The initial infection site is usually a mucosal lymphoid tissue, like the vaginal lining, the urethra in a man. Um, And what happens is the, the dendritic cell eats it and then goes and takes it to a T cell and says, here, look what I found, and infects the T cell. Those infected T-cells will then begin producing the virus, and then they'll undergo apoptosis, um, and killer T-cells will begin to kill them. So basically, you're destroying the generals of your immune system. Um, Yeah. Now, out of all of the the immune cells, memory T-cells are the ones that are most at risk which means that you can get reinfected with things that you shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Clinical manifestations. First the first phase of of getting an uh, uh, HIV is what we call the inoculation phase. It's usually a window where you have no antibodies. That that phase can be from yeah, well anywhere from 0 to 6 months. So some people who get HIV become seropositive within a couple weeks. Others can take up to six months. So if you've been engaged in some risky behavior, like needle sticks, and you want to know, do I have HIV? We will test you today. And then we will wait again for six months and test you again. And until that time is up, you don't know for sure. That's that's what we call the window phase. now, some patients get what we call HIV syndrome. And it's about some 50 to 90% of people undergo HIV syndrome. Not everyone does. And that's going to be a fever, rash, um, sore throat, muscle pain, and headache. And then it goes into what's called a latent phase, where you have no disease at all. And depending on where you get it, like Africa versus the United States, depending on the treatment you can get, That can last anywhere from 1 to 10 years. And actually, now I think some people have gone like 15 years now in the latent phase, meaning they've got HIV, but they don't have AIDS symptoms. Their CD4 counts are higher than 200, and they don't have those other diseases we talked about. Now, as far as drugs go, you do not need to know any particular drug names, but you do need to understand the basic drug classes. Um, There's three basic drug classes. And what we want to do in a patient is give all three of them at the same time, and that's called HEART, highly active antiretroviral therapy. Basically just means multiple drug combinations. Yes. So the three three drug classes, highly active antiretroviral therapy. The three drug classes are um, the nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. I'm going to have to uh, draw on the board for just a second. All right, so what is this? Well, it's a nucleic acid of some kind. So, if this is the if this is the RNA, RNA, and now we're reverse transcribing what would be up here, DNA. DNA. Now, the way a reverse transcriptase or uh, sorry, the way a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor works is it inserts itself into this RNA and pretends to be something it's not. So then, when this, when this um, next one tries to match up, it matches up wrong. And so what you have is you have a DNA segment that's just meaningless gobbledygook. It's not actually viral DNA now. That's one way of doing it. The other way is what's called non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor. And that's just going to inhibit the enzyme directly that causes the reverse transcribing to take place. Um, it doesn't matter. You give them all. Um, then the last one is protease inhibitors, which prevent the final activation of viral proteins as it buds off. Does this work on any, what it do? any virus? Or would this just work on this? It works on, on these particular... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. Now... The thing you need to know is if you give only one of them by themselves, the HIV virus will mutate and become resistant very, very quickly. And protease inhibitors, even though they work the best, are the most susceptible to um, resistance. So you absolutely have to give them with other drug classes. And AZT is the very first drug that we ever discovered. And it is a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor, the first drug class we talked about. What you need to know is that um, it's got some nasty side effects like anemia, aplastic anemia, neutropenia, lactic acidosis, which can be life-threatening but is rare, and then a variety of GI, CNS, and muscle problems, And if you give it in combination with gancyclovir for cytomegalovirus, that will increase the liver hepatotoxicity. In addition to actually treating HIV, we also use AZT to prevent some things. What do we use it to prevent? No. We use it to prevent transmission in three types of people. What? We give it to people who have a needle stick if the patient is HIV positive and if the nurse decides they would like to do it. You can use it to prevent transmission in a needle stick. You can use it in sexual partners where one sexual partner has HIV and the other one wants to have sex with them but doesn't want to get HIV. And the third, pa- the third type of person we use it in is in a mother who is pregnant and we want to prevent HIV transmission during delivery. So it's the delivery where the transmission usually happens, not during the pregnancy itself. Highly active antiretroviral therapy is incredibly um, not fun, although they're making some strides in in, uh, making it not as cumbersome, but you take like 30 pills a day like four times a day. And, you know, have all these bad side effects. One of the side effects that you get from the drugs is you get at this cachexia, and people who have HIV will have this kind of characteristic sunken in cheek look. And so, you know, it's you know, you can just you look at them and you can tell that they're on it. Um so you know it's becoming not as bad, but it's still not very fun. You spend your entire life you know, trying to make sure that your viral load is down and your CD4 counts are up. Right. Yeah, we basically just try and slow the progression and give you as normal a life as possible. So, this is the best medication? That These are the only medications? No, I mean, the a- Oh, no, it's the first one. It's the heart is using three different types of medications all at the same time. No. Yeah. AZT is just one part. It's very expensive to be on it. The problem with it is that it's um, all taxpayer subsidized now. So you're paying for other people's HIV. By the way, there are only a few places in the United States where HIV transmission is growing. Most places in the United States, HIV transmission is going down. What do you think the places where it's going up are? Florida. Florida, Florida and in particular, in particular, West Palm Beach. Not West Palm, but Palm Beach County. And it's highest out in west in Belglade and Pahokee. Why? 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 Because, because, <laughs> because there's a very high migrant worker population out there, combined with a population of, of African-Americans who already had it. And there's a lot of prostitution. Um, in New York and in um, San Francisco, which are hotbeds of homosexual homosexual community, um, who are, by the way, fighting to fighting to get their uh, bathhouses, you know, put back in there. All right, we're done with, with the HIV lecture.